This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, June 2nd, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Jake Neer, in for Kellen Walker. Today on the show, big pickups helped Ford post its sixth straight consecutive sales gain. Kia and Hyundai's anti-theft software fix needs to be fixed. And Rivian could lose its NASDAQ spot after a massive sell-off. Plus, service drive trainer AJ Holst joins the show to talk about combating lack of focus and energy among dealership service advisors. How often do you see a customer just stick their nose in the drive and stop? And then somebody has to go and guide them in. The reason why is because most customers are afraid. So now to overcome a lot of that fear, set the expectation of what's gonna happen. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Ford said May U.S. sales rose 11%, with the Ford division up 12%, but the news wasn't so good for Lincoln, which was down 14%. Ford and Lincoln's combined utility vehicle sales dropped almost 10%, with mixed results for core models. Bronco Sport was up 11%, and Escape rose 32%. On the other hand, Bronco was down 13%, Edge dropped 17%, and Explorer deliveries fell 26%. Ford brand sales have climbed for six straight months now, while Lincoln volume has dropped three consecutive months. Meanwhile, Subaru deliveries jumped 28% in May. It's the company's 10th straight increase. We had expected Volvo results today, but the company says it will release May sales early next week. Hyundai, Kia, Toyota, and Honda reported sales gains yesterday, Other automakers release U.S. sales quarterly, if at all. Kia and Hyundai's software fixes meant to stop thefts of older vehicles need fixes of their own. Both auto companies have notified their dealers that the software solutions are not working perfectly. According to a service bulletin sent from Kia America to its dealers in February, the company identified a compatibility issue involving vehicles equipped with remote start accessories. Another bulletin issued last week said the problem has not been remedied. A spokesperson for Kia confirmed that the issue persists, but the company expects to release a new version of the software update this month that's compatible with the subset of vehicles equipped with remote start. Rivian may get pushed out of the NASDAQ 100 index as early as this month, according to J.P. Morgan Securities. That's after shares plunged more than 90% from their record high. J.P. Morgan analyst Min Moon says the index typically removes the smallest members of the NASDAQ 100 if the companies are weighted at less than 0.1% of the gauge for two consecutive months. Rivian was below that 0.1% as of April 28 and May 31. Moon expects the carmaker to be excluded from the index on the third Friday of June. A removal from the index would deal another blow to a stock that's been pummeled since soon after its November 2021 initial public offering. 
The struggling Infinity brand is getting a new global chief. Jose Roman is Nissan's most senior executive in Mexico and Latin America. Roman is a native of Ecuador. He joined Nissan in 2012, and the company says he has more than 25 years of automotive experience in such markets as Mexico, Colombia, Brazil, and Japan. Infinity's newest leader starts July 1st and will be based at the company's global headquarters in Yokohama, Japan, just south of Tokyo. Roman succeeds Payman Cargar, who left at the end of March to return to Renault in France after a three-year assignment leading Infinity since June 2020. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, this news about Rivian possibly losing its spot on the NASDAQ 100 index, what do you make of this and what would it mean for Rivian? You know, I take it as another sign of the the reckoning among all the EV startups that uh, really came out of that EV's back bubble. Of course, Rivian did a proper IPO. They didn't just do the the SPAC thing. And it is, you know, worth noting this is falling out of the Nasdaq's, you know, high-end index. It's not like they're being delisted. The stock's still at $14 a share. So not like um, you know, Nikola next week has a shareholder vote coming up trying to do a reverse split and have the opportunity to sell more shares to stay solvent and remain listed at all. Uh, Rivian's still going to be listed. Uh, but it shows, I mean, the challenges that these companies have to get ramped up, get their production up, their distribution. It's really hard to start an automaker. Rivian's seeing just how hard it is. <laughs> That's right. Coming up, a conversation about building service drive customer rapport by conducting a walk-around inspection. That's next on Daily Drive. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit reyrey.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Jake Neer. Service advisors play a vital role in customer satisfaction, according to trainer A.J. Holst. That means they need to be the first person greeting a customer. They must do a walk-around inspection of the vehicle and remain in constant communication with the customer, especially after the service visit is over. Holst spoke with Automotive News Senior Editor Dan Schein about the importance of a good service advisor. A.J., thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, Dan, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's the cover. I know you, you work a lot with service advisors. Um, 
And I want to talk a little bit about something you wrote about recently about introducing MPI after the walk around. Um, but first I want to like, say, why don't all service advisors do walk arounds every time? What's what's the the hurdle or challenge or why why don't they? They're lazy. Uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but every every dealership wants their service consultants to go and do a walk around. I've never been in a service department yet that they don't want that. But usually, you'll hear a lot of excuses, unfortunately, about, oh, I don't have a drive. I don't have this. I rely on my, let's rely on the reporters. I have porters to do those. And really, I, I always make a statement to the service consultants, do your porters make more money than you or you make more money than them? And they go, well, of course I make more money. Then why would you want them to dictate your income by being the first person that greets the customer? The walk around is really about building rapport. Um, it's not about selling on the drive. That That's another conversation altogether. But the walk around is going out and continuing to build rapport. And what you'll also do is you'll find out a lot of the customer's motivations. Uh, I mean, you know, if you see child safety seats, you might know that, you know, safety is something important to them. They have like aftermarket rims on their vehicle. Performance is a big deal to them. You might see something like an Uber sticker on their vehicle. So you know that that customer is using the vehicle to make a living. These are all things that you can use later on when you're selling service to them, you know, later on. So, but that's the reason why a lot of advisors really don't do walkarounds because either they're not comfortable with it or they're, I hate to say it, I, they're lazy. And what you wrote about it, and for those who do the walk around, that you thought it's a good idea to pres to introduce the MPI right after the walk around. Tell me why you think that's a, a good way to do it. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of introducing the multi point inspection early on, either during the walk around or right after the walk around. And the big reason for that simply is to set the expectations for the customer and let them know what's going to be coming. I, I talk to service advisors and service managers all the time, and I always pose the question to them, especially if they have a drive. How often do you see a customer just stick their nose in the drive and stop? And then somebody has to go and guide them in and, and all that. The reason why is because most customers are afraid. There's a lot of fear there. They don't know what to expect. They don't know what's going on. I've been in the business 38 years. We used to do uh, oil changes like maybe every 3,500 miles. So you were seeing a customer like probably four or five times a year. Now with the service increments, you're lucky if you see them maybe once or twice a year. So the customer doesn't get the opportunity to get acclimated to what the process is or what's going on. So now to overcome a lot of that fear, set the expectation of what's going to happen. Hey, this is the multi-point inspection on the vehicle. Technician is going to be going over this. I'm going to share this with you, the results, once I get it back from the technician. And I, one of the things I like to do is just to present it in such a way that people can relate to it, that it looks just like a stoplight. It's green, yellow, red. Green means everything's great. Yellow needs attention soon. And red needs immediate attention. And I'm going to share the results with you. So even if they forget the word multi-point, 
they had the vision in their mind of a traffic stoplight because brains think in pictures, not words. And you're, a, I think you're fond of saying the fortune is in the follow-up. What do you mean yes. by that? Yeah, I made a statement about the fortune is in the follow-up. Most people don't follow up. You know, most salespeople, the biggest thing that they forget to do, number one, and this goes for service advisors as well, the first thing, they, a lot of them fail to ask for the sale. But for those that do ask for the sale and maybe don't get it, that fortune that I'm talking about is in the follow-up of contacting them after they leave and maybe finding out whether or not they did do work that, can we make another appointment for you? Can I do anything for you to get the vehicle in sooner? Because it's at, when they leave, it's out of sight, out of mind. And they also may be bringing it someplace else. Follow-up is key to anything, whether it be selling service, selling a vehicle, um, looking for a job, whatever. The person that's going to get the business, the person that's going to get the attention is the one who is, I hate to use the term gutsy, but gutsy enough to go and follow up and dig a little bit further. Everybody has weaknesses, right? And, and it's nice to acknowledge yeah. your weaknesses and, and know that you have them. Um, but it's also, as you've said in the past, to really kind of lean into the, your strengths and and, yeah. and and tell me a little bit about that and what you mean by that. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, dub it downing on your strengths, you know, why would you want to spend your career or your life becoming passively good at something, you know? So I, I'm, I'm all about double downing on the strengths. You know, the perceived, so for instance, as, a, as an advisor, that perceived um, career path for a service advisor, for instance, is to become a service advisor and then maybe become a service manager, a service manager, and then become a service director. Now, I'm not saying not to pursue a goal, but I know tons of really tremendous advisors that really don't want to be managers, and that's okay. Um, I would argue to really to become the best advisor that you can be. And while they're really great at what they do, I would suggest pursuing excellence in selling techniques building rapport, follow-up, and, um, and also paying attention to the details. Conversely, you know, I've met an awful lot of, you know, talented managers that were mediocre at best at service advisors, but they're excellent really in the art of management, uh, HR skills, thinking out of the box, uh, thinking, and also delegation. When I say doubling down on the strengths, it doesn't mean to really to ignore the opportunities or what some may call weaknesses. For instance, I'm not very tech savvy. Um, I struggle with things like Excel, for instance, which is something that we use all the time in business. Now, I've worked at it. I've gotten a little bit better, but I'm not proficient enough to go and really build a worksheet for a client. You know, if I mess up on a cell in Excel, we got some issues. But one of the things that I really love to do, and I'm pretty decent at it, is to be in front of a crowd and I can deliver a message. I'm a little bit more of a natural than most is, I, you know, I don't suffer from like a debilitating stage fright. But I did things like join Toastmasters to hone my skills. 
I've taped myself on video and audio so I can see and hear myself perform presentations. I seek out constructive criticisms and also comments really in order to get better. So when I say double down, the first thing you got to do is you got to identify what your strengths are. You know, take some time to identify your strengths by reflecting really on some past uh, successes and really what you enjoy doing. And you can also ask for feedback from others really to help you pinpoint your strengths. Another thing is focus on those strengths. Once you've identified those strengths, focus on developing them further. You know, look for things, opportunities to use your strengths in your work and your personal life. You want to set goals that play really on the strengths. So when you, you're setting goals, focus on ones that allow you to use your strengths. And this is really going to help you feel more confident and engaged in what you're doing. If you're not good at something, delegate those tasks that don't play to your strengths. Recognize tasks that are not in line with your strength and delegate them to others who are better suited for that job. With me with Excel, I have somebody that makes it make something for me because I can or I don't. And then again, you know, seek for opportunities to learn and grow. Look for opportunities to develop your strengths further, whether it's through training, mentorship, practice. This is really going to help you become even more skilled in your area of strength. One of the things, too, you could also be a mentor to others that aren't as skilled as you are and help them. And that's a big deal. And again, by focusing all these things, you're going to become more confident, engaged, and successful in what your strengths are and in your personal and your professional life. Some good advice. Thank you, AJ. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Dan, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Jake Neer, in for Kellen Walker. Thanks to our own David Phillips, Carly Schaffner, and Hans Grimel for their reporting on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on service and parts, sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for a conversation with our next Energy CEO, Mujib Ijaz. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.